Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris, and joining us this week is the denizen of the dark himself, TJ Lanigan. We're going to be talking about chaos, but before we get there, folks, we're going to be talking all things 9th edition. Joining me, as always, on the podcast is the one and only Nick Nanavati, one of the best players in 40K history, and he's here to help us break down the discussion. Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce TJ, and we'll get started talking about 9th edition. Sure thing. TJ is one of my friends over on Beast Coast. He's also one of our coaches here on Art of War. He's one of the best chaos players out there. I think he had the highest win record out of everybody who played ITC last year, um, doing very well winning like so many tournaments with the infamous Plague Bear spam list. Um, the guy knows his stuff, so we brought him on to talk about Ninth Edition, his thoughts on it, and what direction he thinks chaos is going to go in part two. So, TJ, um, why don't you say hi, and let's get into it. Hey, hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate this. Let's uh, talk about some new stuff. Sure thing. So, what's come out in like the past week that we know? I feel like a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. I guess detachment costs. That's a place we can start. We don't know all of them, but we know now patrols are going to cost two command points. Super heavy detachments are going to cost three to six. Um, that's a big change. What do you think all this means? Um, I think they're trying to uh, basically decrease the feel-bads, I guess I would say. So some of the feel-bads that you play in, I guess, a, a casual game and a competitive game is like when your opponent comes to the table with like four or five knights, and they're like, yeah, this is, this is going to be fun. And you're like, well, my normal all-comers list doesn't really deal with something on that heavy of a spread. So I think they're trying to reduce those kinds of moments for your yourself, you know. Yeah, it seems to me they don't really want to make four knights an army. Like, you're, If you want to run three knights, they're not saying you can't. They're just saying it's not going to be that strong. Especially with the new terrain rules, too. It's not just the CP cost. I think a lot of people are forgetting how much the new terrain rules are going to hurt knights. The fact that knights can be seen and can't see back over ruins of five inches tall. That's huge. Yeah. And the deep striking thing is going to hurt them as well. Being able to just deep strike a critical unit so that your opponent who's running four knights won't be able to shoot them until, you know, they're already in and basically have done what they need to do is going to be a big deal as well. Yeah. That's another huge change. We learned how the strategic reserves work. Not only can you spend it's command points for power level. So it's not just one CP per unit, which I really like, like, uh, Outflanking 10 cultists just isn't the same as outflanking 20 possessed, you know, they're very different units. So I yeah. like the power level aspect to it. Um, yeah. I also like that uh, the power level helps still give an advantage to armies like Raven Guard, right? Where it's just one CP for a, a higher power level thing that you can put into Deep Strike. Um, uh, that's a good point. And it's also, it, it's Raven Guard and armies like that still have, it's Deep Strike, not outflank. So an army like Space Wolves might kind of suffer a little bit or white scars because they have an outflank stratagem for one zp but you like you said you could outflank 
I don't know how much power level six aggressors are off the top of my head, but you could outflank six aggressors or six centurions for one CP, which I'm sure is more than 10 power level. Yeah, yeah. it definitely is. I'm excited for the small stuff. Like berserkers get a lot better because berserkers, a uh, 10 man unit is only nine power level, and 10 berserkers coming in from deep strike is awesome. I don't have to spend the taxes for rhinos or anything like that, which is really great because, well, Usually the rhinos just get blown off the table, and you're like, "Well, that was unfortunate and a waste of points." So, yeah, and also I played a couple of games with the shorter board so far. The shorter board makes outflank so much more powerful because, like, when, before when you were coming in on the sides and the table's seventy-two inches long, it's like you only affect like so much of the board on either flank. So if your opponent's in the middle of the table, you just can't really do anything about it coming in from the sides of the table. Now it's like if you show up with within six inches of the edge have a 24 inch gun that's 30 inches on one side or 30 inches on the opposite side it's a 60 inch table you've cut the you've covered the entire thing right yeah all right i want to finish our discussion about detachments before we get too much into outflank i know we're i know we're sort of i, I know we're sort of naturally having a discussion that's fine um but i want to get back to detachments for a second and ask you guys i noticed that a patrol detachment which is the most basic building block you can have, right? It has a requirement. It has one HQ and one troop choice. Still costs two CPs. What do you guys think that means for other detachments like Supreme Command, Vanguard, Spearhead? You know, all of the Outrider. Uh, I'd I think expect those guys them are going to be... cost at least three. If Patrol is two, then there's no way they're also going to be two. Uh, I I would hope that they cost three, but I have a strange suspicion that Supreme Command is going to cost like five. I could see yeah, at least three is where I'm at with it. Like, oh yeah, they could, definitely. They could nerf it. Mm -hmm. I think they're just, again, we talked about this earlier, but like they, they basically, they want to eliminate a lot of the moments that people don't like. And right now, one of the moments that people don't like is like, oh yeah, I want to play a game of 40K. And you're like, let me bring the three strongest parts of you know my entire faction on the table and i'm just gonna smash him his face so it's yeah. it's more well, it's like, like right now in my sister's army um in my like mixed imperium sisters list i have a sister's brigade then three thunder fires and a captain in one detachment ragnar smash captain room priest in the other detachments like i'm literally just cherry picking broken units here there's no right there's no subtlety to this yeah so they want to like reduce that a little bit i think so which is good yeah um, i think that's a great do, idea do you guys think that because of the amount of cps it could, like five if it's We'll just do a the theoretical. If it's five CPs, or maybe we'll say four, um, obviously three detachment lists are probably going to go away because that's a huge opportunity cost. Uh, and I think, do you guys think that we'll see a lot more mono detachment lists for the just maximizing? You might see um, mono costs? detachments. I also think you'll see battalion or brigade, just one big detachment that has a bulk of your army, plus a little patrol um, that'll allow you to. Not pay for a double battalion, which is a lot of troop tax, a second HQ tax, for example. But a lot of armies want more than three HQs, and that's the, all you get out of a battalion. Like, Space Marines is not crazy to want a librarian, a chaplain, a smash captain, and a lieutenant. Or, like, three of those plus a special character. That's really reasonable, and the only way you're going to get that is by taking two detachments or a brigade. But a brigade is very tax-heavy. So I think a patrol is a really good workaround for that. And two CP, it's not easy to swallow but it's it's definitely you can manage it yeah you I mean, want the crazy stuff you're gonna have to 
You're just going to have to make do and you're going to have to spend the CP. I see a lot of people and, and, and it won't be so bad if people start the game with four or five CP because it kind of I don't have to worry about them doing all this crazy stuff maybe until later in the game. So I kind of we kind of play a normal game and then maybe in the last, you know, turn four, turn five, they start doing stuff. So or like if your opponent spends like three CP on a stratagem early and then he's floating around two to three CP the rest of the game. You know, he spends one, he gains one, he spends one, he gains one. He's never really able to pull off a huge combo turn. It just doesn't happen unless he saves it up for a turn five push or something. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, so getting back to detachments for a second, do you guys think that um, there'll be still a lot of soup? Like, do you think detachments will be from two different codexes or do you think we'll see more more of the mono builds? Because that's where I think we're going to head. I think we'll end up with maybe 50% mono codex builds and 50% uh um two two detachment two codex builds yeah it still uh, depends i think we don't know that like maybe it's two cp to take a i, I guess they kind of do know i was gonna say maybe it's an extra command point or something to take two different factions but i don't think they've hinted towards that at all um i think it depends which factions you're playing so yeah around 50 50 is where i'd guess I think we're still going to see soup i think it's just too powerful not to take certain armies just can't function without uh, you know, kind of shoring up some of their weaknesses. So I think we'll see two, at least a patrol for somebody else. Like their normal list, I think will be 75% of one faction and then maybe 25% of another faction in that list. Yeah, like, definitely. I don't think you're going to see like 50% Blood Angels, 50% like Imperial Guard or anything. But you yeah. might see an Imperial Fist uh, artillery detachment or you might see a Space Wolf Character detachment, <laughs> just like Nick said, right? Because those are both very efficient, fairly small. Um, yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. You know, Armin and maybe a Demon Prince or, you know, uh, a Demon Prince and some cultists for the psychic powers, but then mostly Death Guard. Yeah. And well, that's what we're going to talk about a lot in part two is really chaos because they've changed the most out of any faction on these detachment rules. Right now, chaos pulls from every like 25 different codexes sometimes to create their armies, and that's just going to be gone. Yeah. So, definitely excited to talk about that stuff um what do you think of these new charging rules tj i know you've avidly used wrapping and trapping and all kinds of stuff and now you can still wrap it seems but your opponent can spend two cp and just get out of it how do you think what do you think of that change um yeah i mean you know you take uh and we don't know what the um the epitome is going to look like with her rules but right now like she seems like prime real estate for making sure that doesn't happen for a chaos list. Also, you can fire into combat now too, so that's a that's a big deal. It's just going to be um, a big change because now you're probably just going to want to kill that unit. You're probably not going to want to waste your time wrapping that unit, or you know, you're going to have to wrap multiple units. So it's going to be very interesting to see because, like, I have to see how the mechanic with shooting into combat works. Because if any unit can just shoot into combat, that's a big deal. Um, that you're basically just, if you get a charge off, you're going to want to hit as much as possible just so you can just kill it all. Yeah, I think the shooting into combat is is limited. I, we don't know, of course, but I think it's just going to be the vehicle shooting into combat. Like a vehicle can choose to fire its weapons into the close combat that's engaged in. All right, well, that won't be so bad then. You're just going to want to wrap multiple things though, so... Yeah, but that's not always easy. I mean, oh, I know. Are, are, you, are you going to make strategies based around wrapping still, you think? Or are, is that just... You know, when you can wrap, you wrap, but like you can't rely on it like you used to. Um, yeah, I think I think that's definitely going to be it. You you want to 
just factor it in as a tactic you can use, but it's not something that like, well, this list all works around not uh, being in combat the whole time and not getting shot at. So, yeah, and I, I like that a lot more because I think it's a it's a really cool tactic to make use of when the situation arises. But I hate like the idea of my army just can't be shot and the game is over on turn two because I trapped a model. Like I've done it. Don't get me wrong. I'm an abuser, but it's also stupid. Yeah, one of the things I think is kind of interesting about that whole thing is we all have sort of this muscle memory of multi-charging, charging into things, and then rolling in and touching as many tanks and dreadnoughts as we can. You know, dreadnoughts maybe a little less so, but tanks for sure. And now you have, like, a decision to make because, sure, you may get your wrap off and you can touch this tank, but now the tank can shoot into the unit, which is maybe what you don't want, right? Maybe you want that unit to fight at full strength during the fight phase. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it makes the game a little more dynamic and a little more interesting. <clears throat> well, you know what else we have, like, a lot of muscle memory for? That's a great point you brought up. Um, I was just playing a game against Mark Perry in our, on our Twitch channel the other day, and he, I was running Sisters, he was running the new Death Guard stuff, and he was leaving his characters kind of just not within three inches of units, but behind everything, and, like... That's oh, yeah. just safe. So I, I like on turn one, I remind him, I was like, do you want to change their position? Because I'm just going to blast your swords from the face with an exorcist. And he's like, oh, yeah. And then turn two, he did it again. And I went, I let him go back and fix it because it's a friendly game. And then turn three, he did it again. And like at that point, it was like too inconvenient for him to just go fix it. So I did just kill a sorcerer on turn three. And it's like, you really have to think about this now. It's not just my characters are token behind my army. I'm good to go. It's. My, if my units are running forward across the table to go charge stuff, my characters are either keeping up or they're dead. And sorcerers or librarians or those buff psychers, like the farseers in another army that are casting doom from 24 inches away while the spears go forward, they need to be babysat by something. Otherwise, they're going to die. You don't want to push them forward because then they're in the fray. They might just die. And then also they're going to be in deny range of your opponent. So, you know, now you're relying on warp time going off or your opponent just blocks it. That's not a strategy. That's asking to be screwed over. So maybe you start seeing lists that incorporate more backfield garbage to just babysit characters. Yeah, that def definitely could be a thing. Or just more powerful units. Like, you know, you weren't taking tanks before, but now you're taking a tank and they're just standing next to that tank the whole game. Yeah, tanks do it very naturally. They already kind of want to be back there minding their own business and they block for characters. So that's true. Or like yep. rhinos. Uh, um, I did a strategy session on this in the war room the other day, and like rhinos, great for delivering your troops, obviously. And then after it's kind of delivered its payloads, like, what are you doing here? Go babysit my characters. Yeah, I don't yeah. think that's terrible because forcing somebody to shoot a rhino is good. The thing that terrifies me is I love to use impulsors, and now if I want to babysit my characters with impulsors, you know, sometimes those things blow up. Oh yeah. And it's a disaster when they blow up. D6 mortals to everybody nearby. <laughs> yeah, I've had many characters just like, oh, I guess I rolled the five. I guess he just dies. Uh, son of a biscuit. Um, <laughs> the the other part of that, I think, is difficult and interesting, which I one of the reasons why I really like the character rule is now you have to do a lot of calculation on not only do I need to screen my characters, but I need to screen them with enough. So you know, if I put one unit of 10 guys within three inches of my character, my opponent can kill that, then kill my character, right? So now you have to you have to pay more attention, like maybe I put my character blob within three inches of three different units and, and make my opponent sort of chew through that to try to get at them. And um, it's going to make positioning more 
more intentional with your characters, which I think is good. Just to go further on it, like if you're playing another army that has lots of five man as your minimum squads, like Sisters of Battle, for example, or um, three man Nurgling squads and demons or whatever it might be. If you fall below three models, you no longer block for characters. So you kill one Nurgling and your characters are no longer being blocked. You kill three Sisters of Battle out of five man unit, your characters are no longer being blocked. That's really easy to pull off. Those five man ranger squads and Atmec, yeah. Is that how that works? I thought it is it the the starting strength of the unit or is it just whatever's on the table? I'm pretty sure we it's don't, whatever's on the table. I mean, we don't <clears throat> know if it's like you take a look at the beginning. I would assume again they're trying to get rid of these feel bad moments, so I would assume that it's throughout the game or throughout your shooting phase you look at the unit that is blocking that character and if it yeah. ever reaches below 3 models, they're like, "Well, it, I guess it's I time mean, to shoot if that you unit." Think about it mechanically, it's like a character can't be targeted, so we're looking at the unit when the unit goes to target something, unless it's this criteria within three inches of a unit or within of uh, at least three or more within three inches of a vehicle, that kind of thing. So if it's just not meeting the criteria to not be targeted, what's stopping the unit targeting you from targeting you? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, that's I, I think uh, that's more wishful thinking on my part now that I'm analyzing what I just said. <laughs> that's just, uh, uh, I think you guys have the right of it, so... John wants to be one of those dirty character abusers. I mean, I, I do love my talent masters. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so that's it. Might be it. Might create an interesting little diversity thing there. Like, might maybe I take seven or eight man sisters of battle squads, or maybe you spread lurch for those extra people and custodies, like three man custodies guard squads. Like, that's not safe. Yeah, that they're they're definitely a, a faction. That I'm very interested to see how they work in the new edition, just because custodies. Yeah, because like everything is elite, and like you don't want to spend like yeah, these are two hundred points of these five guys that are here to block my characters in the backfield to grab objectives as well. I, I do think that one of the most hidden value things Custodes got with their Psychic Awakening was access to Sisters of Silence without taking up any slots in your detachment or costing you CP or anything because that's not cheap, but it's also ten point models is not expensive for three of armor save lady. And then they, they give you a token psychic defense. That's not insignificant. But it's something cheap in a custodian's army that you don't have to go to a guard army or something to go take it, which is great. Yeah. You know, going back to the character discussion, I'm just thinking about screening your characters is like much more difficult with if your opponent has deep strikers, right? Like, because now you've got to have significant screens within three inches in front, behind, and beside your no. characters. Not no? not behind. No, it's just as long as there is a unit within three inches of that yeah. unit. So so something still needs to be closer. Right. To so it's the... not it's not worse. It's actually better because now you don't have to be like, okay, so I blocked out the sides, I blocked out the back, I have all units surrounding it. You can't get anything around me. Now it's just like I have a unit that is within three inches that is, you know, just here. It doesn't matter what direction that's in. So like you so. could have your your same three nerdlings behind a wall in the middle of the table. 15 inches behind that is like a character just in the open that happens to be within three inches of a vehicle. That vehicle isn't closer to the firing target. There's just a vehicle nearby. That character still can't be targeted because the nerdlings are closer and he's within the three inches. So all the criteria is met. Yeah, you just have to be careful with deep striking in particular, just like units being able to come in at nine, then charge your character and then kill it. But that's the thing that you had to prepare for anyway, even if you had units going all around you so no i will say the fact that anything can outflank really does open up a lot of interesting plays so especially because it's not just on turn three you can outflank on like 
I've considered, like in my scissors list, put outflanking an exorcist, driving it on turn four, turn five. Once screens are pretty dead or whittled away by turn four, turn five, boom, boom, two characters are dead on the bot on the end of the game, and that's a huge swing potentially. Now it's an opportunity cost. I took an exorcist; it's like 170 points. Maybe it'll go up, and I didn't use it for the first few turns. But if there's shooting that's going to cause my exorcist to just die early on anyway, it's going to be a more powerful tool in my army on turns five and six than on turns one and two. And then the rest of the four turns would be a dead or in reserve. Doesn't matter. It might even be good on turn four. Yeah, it could, depending on how the game plays out. So that's that's an interesting calculation that you have to make, too. Like, we've been talking about all these additional calculations, right? So if you put it on turn one, does it die by turn two? A lot of times that's what happens with, with an exorcist, right? But if you put it on turn four, you have it four, five, and six, you know, maybe it doesn't die because now enough stuff has been whittled down that they don't have the firepower to kill that T8 chassis easily right. right and it can create a game within the game like what if i deployed stuff in reserve and then my opponent counter deploys stuff in reserve and now we're just doing it in a pissing contest and the first person to bring the reserves on then gets the reserves killed by their opponent's reserves so yeah. it's like the you game theory it out do both of us just bite the bullet and never bring our reserves until turn six or is it like we just play the game i bring them on turn three to accomplish something then you bring all yours on turn four and kill mine yeah, I mean, like, then you have the the power stuff it's like i lost the role to go first i'm playing magnus I'm going to spend three CP, put him in reserve. Now you're like, oh, great. Uh, when he comes in, he gets all of his buffs. He's going to be completely buffed. And now he's just going to be wherever he wants to go. Whatever unit is now in front of him, he's immediately going to kill it with his psychic powers. That's just what's going to happen. So that's yeah. just something you're going to need to worry about. And you might go, you, uh, you know, you might have to play a lot more defensively, just worrying about things like that. Yeah, like the fact that. The monsters in this game can reserve. I'm reserving a knight. Like, all this stuff is legal. Now, it's a huge tax. Like, Magnus taking him in your list is now going to cost you 3 CP minimum. We know that. And then reserving him, if you're going second, is another 3 CP. So you just already assigned 6 of your 12 starting CP away to Magnus. Now, that could be worth it. But, like, that's a, that's a huge investment to think about. Oh, yeah, because to get Magnus, you got to buy that. Uh, it's by Supreme Italian. Command. Or, uh, yeah. uh, Supreme, uh, or Supreme or something. Yep. Super heavy Supreme something. Yeah. But definitely, like this op- outflanking the giant monsters to avoid the Alpha Strike, show up, uh, cast your bus, become minus one, hit and three at Binville, guaranteed, instead of you know going second, just getting blasted in the face when you're before you're buffed. It's a huge change. Yeah. It's great. Man, Magnus and Mortarian, though. I mean, you got to spend nine CP, but. I'll I, both I don't of those think you run both. Like, yeah, you won't see that. But Magnus. To run both in a reserve build is 12. Yeah, it gets much CP. better. So oh, yeah. You'll, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. It's some really cool stuff. Um, what about the new morale change? I, I really think it's pointless, to be honest. There are theoretical uses for it, but like, it's so. Like, can why? we go through it? Because I'm not sure I understand it. Sure thing. So currently, I'm just going to go through how Eighth Edition works. You take however many casualties. Let's use a ten man cultist squad as an example. Ten man cultists are leadership six. I kill six cultists. So you take the number of casualties, six, compared to leadership also happens to be six. Then roll d6. Let's say I roll four. The six casualties plus the four I rolled is ten. You subtract your leadership six. The remainder is four. That's how many more cultists will die. Your whole squad is dead. What that means in 8th edition is basically if I kill eight cultists, then d6 plus two will die. So it does not matter what I roll from the round. They're just all going to be dead. In 9th edition, how it works is 
you do the same morale test. If you fail, it does not matter how much you fail by. If you if your casualties plus your D6 roll exceeds the leadership characteristic of your unit, one more cultist just disappears. Poof, into the air. Then you roll a dice for every remaining model in that unit. On a one, a model is dead. On anything else, it's fine. If the unit just also happens to be below half strength, so in a 10-man cult squad, if you're below five models, then it's on a one or two, a model just dies. So in that same example, if I killed eight cultists in 8th edition, they're automatically dead no matter what I roll on my morale check. In ninth edition, one more cultist is automatically dead, because even if I roll a six on that morale check, I only lose one model. Then I roll a d6 for every model remaining in the unit, when in this case it just happens to be the one last cultist standing. And because they're below half strength on a one or two, he will be dead on a four, five, three, three through six, he'd be fine just hanging out. You have a cultist left. So it's kind of cool, I guess. That's really the only time it matters, I feel like. I played against Mark Perry, like same game, and he had a 17 or 18-man Plague Marine unit. And I charged him with Repentia, and he, he made them so stupid tough. And I only killed like 10 out of the 17. It's very sad. And um, in 8th edition, their leadership 8, and then they killed 10. So D6 plus 2 will die. There's 7 left. On a 5-up, I kill the whole unit, but at the minimum, I'm killing 3, 4, 5, 6. You know, I can kill a whole bunch here. Or he spends 2 command points to auto-pass. Well, in 9th edition, we use the new 9th edition morales. He rolled auto-failed the morale check. One Plague Marine dies. Then he rolled a d6 for the remaining 6 Plague Marines. Two more died. So, it just wasn't as powerful, it felt like. Do you guys think that there's other stuff around that that, yeah. uh, that we, don't, we don't know? Most definitely. I think that we saw just a little teaser of the the one time that you get a neg uh, a minus one to that roll. So basically, on like a one and a two, you'll lose an additional guy. I think there are plenty more. I also think that any modifiers that you have that also put a negative in there will also carry over to the attrition phase. So like night lords become a lot more deadly because their negative modifiers transfer over to the. Um, the attrition phase as well. Yeah. That, if it does work that way, then you're right. Then I should give this rule a purpose. Yeah. M much more deadly. On another note, what do you, how do you feel about Tau getting the same overwatch they've always had where everyone else doesn't? Um, it if, seems very polarizing for a lot of people. If every army has a special rule, I'm okay with that. Like if, if that's their special thing and that's, that's what they made ninth edition, they left that, that rule in for them so they have something special, that's fine. Um, but that means that other armies have to have something that makes them unique as well. Uh, just giving Tau Overwatch for the sake of, yeah, but if we didn't give them Overwatch like that, then they just lose all their games is not a good answer to the question of why you did this. Right, I'm with you. And most armies do have some rule that makes them cool. Like, all Custodes things are obsec. Death Guard have 18 and Trapid Fire. I, all Marine know. armies have combat doctrines. I mean, yeah, yeah. So Grey they, Knights they have do, tides. Armies do have their own unique flair. Now, they do vary in power as well, like 18 and Trapid Fire bolters. Not quite the same as full Overwatch for your faction. But, you know, it, they definitely do. Like, if you take that away from Tau, Tau don't have a cool rule. So, you know, there's that. Yeah. Plus, it's fair. an entire rework in the beginning of a brand new edition. Like, you couldn't just leave it. Like, if they don't get the Overwatch, you just wouldn't be able to do anything about that. They would have to immediately 
you know, fix that by making them have a new book or something like that or redesign the whole thing. So, yeah. I mean, I think that's that's a very, very, very important point, right? Like, Tau does not work um, because they don't participate in the fight phase. They really don't. I mean, I guess they do a little bit now that, that their monsters can shoot into combat. That's one thing. But they would they would be at a severe disadvantage, I think, if they didn't have that rule or something different. So, Yeah, well, we're going to see um, the real thing that I think a lot of people haven't or they just don't care about looking at is the fact that Games Workshop was like, listen, they're going to get full Overwatch. However, their points cost will reflect this. I think people are just like, well, they broke it and it's going to be bad and it messed up everything. So that's definitely yeah. something that people need to look at it as well. People are definitely jumping the gun on what's good and bad just because the points costs are so unknown. Like, well, also, we don't know all the rules. Like we were talking about, you know, morale earlier. Maybe because my, my knee jerk was they've kind of made morale more complicated and I need to know why. But maybe, like you said, TJ, it's just because now those leadership all remember, there's so many leadership modifiers in the game that don't really do anything. Like it's never really worth taking. Oh, I got a, an ability that's minus one leadership. No, well, my, now lords are great. Everyone takes nine lords. Right, mm-hmm. right. But but now if if um, you know they fail their their morale and you stack minus four, so now on a one through a five, a guy dies. Um, on the leadership, so that now those leadership modifiers actually stacking modifiers might might be worthwhile. Might be one of those things where you're like, oh, all right, I I need to do that. Um, so I, I just don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, I'd be excited to see that. So definitely opens up some interesting thoughts. Another thing they kind of hinted at in the uh, Tau article was that units that fly don't shoot anymore, like fall back and shoot rather. That's huge for everybody. Um, that completely changes fundamental factions like Tau, like Eldar, like Dark Eldar. Units, certain specific units like uh, Inceptors, Flamers as each. I mean, there's so many units that get Shining Spears. Um, what do you, how do you guys think about this change? This is a huge one. Uh, I think it's better. I mean, not being able to fall back is uh, and shoot is definitely something that's frustrating for a lot of people when they take the time to wrap something or hit something, and then your opponent's like, all right, so my turn, I back up, and then I'm you're standing in front of me, and I'm just going to fire my payload into you and you're like well that was unfortunate yeah i think it's a great change too because just fly is too powerful as it is it does every single thing you want in the game moves over models fallbacks and shoots can't be trapped ignores terrain it's like it's such a stupid powerful rule so nerfing it a little bit was great and it's, it's like a nerf that can totally make sense like if a fly model all of a sudden had to care about terrain like why that doesn't make sense but fall back and shoot sure you know it's busy falling back it can't shoot yeah, they're 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 literally madmen with axes trying to hit them in the face, and they're just like trying to steer and fly away from it. They don't really have time to like line up their shot. And what know. do you think this means for the meta, though? Like overall, obviously, there's a million moving parts to what's going on right now. But like Eldar, Dark Eldar, Tau, these huge factions that have literally lived and died by falling back and shooting and just being a mobile firebase army. That's gone. How do you think they're gonna adapt? More infantry, I think. More things to basically prevent that from happening. I think it's what's going to have to change. Um, 
you know, you're just going to have to take things that you normally wouldn't take so that you prevent your opponent from getting a charge off and touching that unit. I mean, the fly tanks are still fine, right? And the fly monsters are still fine because if they get if they get into combat, they don't really have to fall back and shoot. They can just shoot the thing that touch them. It's they can not, shoot the thing that touched them. But I mean, it depends. If it's if it's not their heavy weapon, I think they said the tanks can't fire their main weapon into combat. So not being able to fire your main weapon, like if you touch a tank with two heavy bolters and a Gatling gun, and the Gatling gun can't shoot, well, I don't really care about two heavy bolters hitting me in the face. That's not. I thought it was just much. blast weapon. So like yeah. tanks, like a battle cannon, if it's a blast weapon, couldn't fire. But like a Gatling cannon, presumably, is not a blast, so it would be I able to. I thought it said main. I thought it said main gun, or you, you may be right. I'm and and again, all the main guns could just be blast weapons. We don't know yet. Like a Gatling gun could be a blast weapon, just because they wanted to fire the maximum amount of shots. So we we just don't know yet. But like, if that is the case, you're gonna have to take additional stuff to screen for characters because you're not gonna be able to just sit there anymore. Man, well, let's talk about blast weapons for a second and how that's gonna affect the meta. Like Thunderfire cannons, the way the rule is written, written now, if you have a unit of more than five models, then it just gets twelve shots into it. Uh, it gets it gets six, and then if you have more than ten, it gets the full twelve. No, no, because it's by dice. D threes go to max three, so a Thunderfire will go to twelve shots. Yeah, oh. Jones right there. But but if it's a Thunderfire right now, can't get twenty four shots, and if it shoots a thirty man orc unit, it gets twenty four shots. I find that hard to believe, also. So that might just change fundamentally. Yeah, but like things like Shadow Weavers, like each Shadow Weaver just gets auto six hits on a unit. I think armies like orcs and Tyranids are fundamentally going to have to change. You just can't run the Green Tide anymore. It's you're just going to get shot off the board in two I, seconds. I I don't know how that army functions without running at least ninety models. That's the the interesting thing I see. Well, you can you can run like Steve Pamprine. We had him on the Art of War podcast a while back. He ran an orc list that had a ton of models, like 150 dudes, but it's all 10 man units. 10 man grot, 10 man grot, 10 man grot, 10 man grot, and that's not so bad because you're not at 11. You're not hitting that threshold to be the next bracket up. So max three shots per blast weapon, um, not six auto hits, is quite different. Um, and then you focus a lot more on those, in Orc's case, the mechanized stuff. Um, he's running big unit of flash kits. He's running um, the burner bombers, that kind of stuff. I know Mark Perry's all in love with the Def Copters and the Killicans. Um, for Tyranids, maybe things like Flyrids become a lot more viable because they're monsters below 18 wounds. They can just hide. All of your monsters can now just hide. So that's a whole new style for Tyranids, potentially. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, I'm very excited to see everything, uh, you know, once we have the rules. All right, I have another question, but before we get to that, let's take a quick break for a, a note from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. All right, guys. So <clears throat> we've talked a lot about some sort of the individual rules. How, what kind of picture does that, if you put it all together, what we have now, for the game, do you think the game is going to be 
faster? Like, will we be engaged with each other quicker? Um, will it be more bloody in the middle of the table? Like, do mid-range weapons become better? I mean, these are the kind of questions that I have, sort of. I think so. I played a few games with all the rules that we know thus far, and they're very engaging in the middle of the board. Um, it's a lot faster paced. You, f- it's a lot bloodier. Things, everything dies. Like in eighth edition, the saying was everything dies. In ninth edition, everything dies, and it's a lot faster paced. You can't, you can't just take a gun line. I think that style is just dead. You need to acknowledge combat now, um, fly keyword or not. You just, even if you, even if fly lets you fall back and shoot for whatever reason or whatever. You run out of board space. The gate one, like especially the one mission we saw as progressive scoring, if that's indicative of how the rest of the missions will be as well, it doesn't matter if your opponent's sitting on the back of the board edge shooting the crap out of you with artillery and stuff. You're scoring a million points because it's not just like ITC currently, where it's like I held more objectives than my opponent, but he held the one in his corner, so I got two points to his one point. It's I'm on four objectives, you're on one, so I scored like six points on the differential. That's huge over and over and over again. So I do think you need a more combined arms approach and you need to be able to deal with a faster-paced game. I'm most interested to see how the reserve, strategic reserve stuff is going to impact things because it opens up so much potential. Like, all of a sudden you can outflank, like, I was talking about this in the paint stream the other day on our daily paint stream, like a unit of Salamander aggressors. They can outflank. They have, they show up six inches up plus a 21-inch gun with long-range marksmen. It's almost the entire table from either side then they can spend one CP count of stationary, same with Ultramarines, they just count as stationary, then one CP for Salamander plus one of wounds. So all of a sudden these aggressors just get to shoot twice, anywhere on the table pretty much, on turn two, three, four, or five, or six, and really just annihilate something. So it just it's going to change the game fundamentally. Like There's so many things that are unexplored because it's just never existed in the edition as a possibility. And they also get the opportunity to make that charge, right? <clears throat> the aggressors are no joke. The so the other thing that I think is kind of interesting about ninth edition is it looks to me like you have to move into the center of the board, like at least in the one mission that we've seen, right? <clears throat> you, so I think that that means that these alpha strike, I shoot you mathematically off the table armies, I don't think are going to be very successful. What do you, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean you're definitely going to need more elite stuff than you've been taking before. So just running some cultists or some things that are just there to basically die but hold objectives, They're, things are just going to die so much quicker, and things are so much more expensive. You're not going to just be like, well, I took, you know, instead of taking 100 and, or 240 points and having 60 bodies, now you're taking, you know, basically one unit now is going to cost you, you know, uh, 60 points a guy. So having six squads of that is not cost effective because that's most you know that's a a large portion of your army now so you definitely going to need to figure out units that are more resilient and can still basically function by holding objectives as well do you guys think in the new mission set now we're getting into a little bit of speculation that um because for gw missions my understanding is line breaker killing the warlord first strike have all been a sort of staple in those missions. Do you think that's going to come over into the new missions? Yeah, I'd be shocked if they don't in some capacity. Now, I don't know if it'll be like the same as like uh, a tertiary point. We know there's primaries, we know there's secondaries, much like Nova and ITC. I don't know if there's that additional level, which is Warlord, Linebreaker thing. Like behind enemy lines is a secondary in both Nova and ITC currently. I could see them totally just introducing that as a secondary into 
Games Workshops thing. Similarly, like old school, like they could just make old school secondary, maybe modify a little. Like they, t- they previewed Recon or the equivalent of Recon in 9th edition. It is different. It is modified. It's much harder to achieve now, but it's still Recon at its core. So I could see that as a nice translation over. Yeah, it's definitely something we'll see in the new edition. I think you're mostly going to see uh, secondaries and uh, things like that that you're used to, but maybe not from Games Workshop. So one of the things I think that is interesting with the new outflank rules, you know, the new strategic reserve rules, um, if first strike is a thing, I think a paramount point of list design at the top level is going to be denying that first turn kill. And because the table is smaller, you have to have other tools, like either you have to outflank the stuff that is vulnerable to die on turn one uh, that you can't hide for whatever reason. Um and with the the better terrain, so I think that dance is going to be a very interesting dance in ninth edition. Like, what do you reserve? How do you design your list? Like, how do you design? How do you how do you stop stop that first strike? On, like, I think that's going to be a big part of the game, or at least it'll be significant to think about, right? Definitely, but especially I think screening is going to be more important than ever, but also harder to pull off than ever because you're not taking two battalions anymore. You're just not going to. So you don't have intrinsically six troops of trash that can be screens. You just have your three for the one battalion, maybe a fourth for a patrol. And maybe they actually do something now so you don't want to use them as screens. Like Death Guard will take Plague Marines and then they don't want to be screens. They want to be a good unit. So screening is going to be more important because everything has access to outflank now and the board is shorter. But it's also going to be harder to get access to screens. You have to go out of your way for it. You're not going to naturally just do it. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a thing. Um, I think Chaos is one of the armies that is primarily, like you said before, is going to have to change the way it plays its game. Yeah, definitely. So I'm really excited to talk about that in episode two. I know, TJ, that's your forte. You know, you're the Chaos guy. So, um, John, do you have any other questions you want to ask TJ on this one? Um, TJ, what's your what's your hype level or overall impression of ninth based on what you've seen? Do you feel good about it? Do you think it's going to be a really good game or... Or do you have some reservations? I'm kind of curious to get your take. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. Uh, a lot of the changes I've seen so far are for the better. They just make a more interactive game, and they make a much more tactical game. So I'm definitely excited for that. Um, I'm excited to see points cost is probably the only thing that I'm very, uh, I would say, interested slash concerned about. I'm just concerned that units that are currently not functioning properly with a points increase are the those units are still the same units they were before that effectively weren't weren't value for their points cost. So how is that going to change in the new edition? So and that that's what I'm most interested to see. Yeah, it's it's hard when they they've said they're going to readjust the points of almost the entire edition, if not the entire edition, and. When you're readjusting literally thousands of points, not like like thousands of different entries of points, I mean, you know, something is definitely going to be off somewhere. And I really oh, yeah. am afraid of that because that could just break the game. Right. And I'm sure they'll FAQ it eventually and errata chapter proved it. It'll work itself around, but I don't want the game to start out broken, you know? Yeah, I think that's this. Will, this has the best chance of starting not broken of any edition that we've had. Because <laughs> I think basically... Hasn't every edition of 40K started broken? Really? Um, the earlier ones weren't as broken because they, like, fourth and fifth, I mean. I mean, um, eighth was great. 
everything was very balanced in eighth when it first came out. We had indexes for everybody. So that was really a game changer because we took all the previous trash that we had and we put it, you know, we put it away. So well, seventh seventh was a dumpster fire, so they needed to start from scratch. But the yep. indexes had a lot of things wrong with them. Let's be clear. <laughs> I mean, they definitely did, but they were definitely um, uh, reset in the fact that they didn't take any of the old rules or the any of the old stuff. So yeah, yeah, indexes were a good placeholder. Um, but like from fourth to fifth, for example, you just kept the codexes because they weren't just fundamentally fundamentally broken. Much like you're keeping the codexes now, except you also kept the point values from fourth and fifth. They didn't just redo anything. It was just like here's a new rule set to play your army within, and it like that didn't break anything because nothing really changed aside from the core mechanics. And then they released Grey Knights, but that's that's a different story. <laughs> and then they broke everything, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. They can't just keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I will say this about GW based on my experience with Eighth. They've gotten much better at balancing their game. And their eighth, I think the best part of eighth edition was that it was a living rule set and that it was adjusted as we went across time to address problems. Because, like you said, Nick, when you're talking about thousands of different models and thousands of different point values, uh, it's easy to make mistakes and sometimes egregious ones, right? <laughs> Hello, Iron Man. It could be like like something so simple like the birds. If you remember the birds of the beginning of the 8th edition in the indexes, they were 7 points each for a 4-1 model that was fearless. And it's like, I'm sure they never even playtested the birds, because who the hell even looks at that unit? Razorwing flocks from Dark Eldar is what I'm talking about. Does anyone even know what that is? Then all of a sudden, some guy in like some foreign country was just like, hey, this is broken. And then Spam put 150 of them on the table, and then that became a list. So... You know, something so subtle could just be so broken, unfortunately. Yeah, but at least we know that it'll get fixed. Yeah. yeah. Forge World is a, is a big deal that I am uh, semi-concerned with, I guess, because um, we don't, like, they've talked about rewriting those rules for such a long time now, and, like, I see now that they're waiting for ninth edition, but what are those going to look like? Because Games Workshop is notorious for writing rules that we don't see for six months that have no, like, or just come out six months later, and they're like, yep, we wrote these rules, and you're like, yeah, but this is going on now in the meta, and the stuff you wrote six months ago is no longer even happening in the meta anymore. So I'm very interested to see about the Forge rules and what they're actually going to do when the new edition comes out. I'm, I'm excited for that, um, because you have one consistent rules team writing the rules for Forge World. I always thought it was kind of weird that Forge World had their own rules team and then somehow, and, and Forge World to me, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong because I'm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Forge World. It was definitely weird in 8th edition. And you saw it a lot. Yeah, Forge World is either edition. really good or really bad. I definitely have the. Uh, yeah, I definitely have the minority opinion here, but I, I just don't want Forge World to be in the game. I think it's like some Legends crap that they should just take out of it, but I don't think I'm winning that war anytime soon. Is that just because uh, Forge World lives at the edges of the game? If you think about it, super big models, you know. Yeah, basically. And it's just like, it's so much rules bloat for no reason. It just, it's more daunting. The barrier to entry is higher. I get it. You don't want people to feel like they can't play with their toys. But we're trying, we're talking from the mindset of a competitive tournament format. You know, we can't just let everything in. Like, that's what narrative is for. That's what apocalypse is for. You want to play your forge rule, there's plenty of places to do it. It's just not in a tournament. I mean, that's that's why Magic the Gathering had to do what they did, right? Like, they, they have to rotate sets out because rules bloat. You get too many different cards, and I mean, that's a different... 
obviously there's way more magic cards released than there are models, but the same concepts apply, right? Too yeah. many rules bloats the game. The blow game gets too bloated. It, it collapses under its own weight. So it is, yeah. it is a consideration. So, and not only that, it's also the more rules you add in, the so much harder to balance. It just increases the odds they screw it up and make the game even worse. And increases the barrier to entry for people to play. Because you, you, in order to play this game well, I would argue that you have to know what your stuff does, but you also have to know what your opponent's stuff does. And, yeah, you, know, you are never going to win a 40k tournament without being aware of rules knowledge. It's just not going to happen. And Fortune makes that very difficult. Yeah, I definitely, uh, I definitely want to see. Like I said, that that's my uh, one thing that the the other thing that I'm concerned about for them. But overall, I'm I'm pretty excited about the new edition and all the new rules they're going to bring in. Very cool. There's no point in being pessimistic about it. And I'm actually very happy with every single thing I've seen thus far. I mean, there's things I couldn't really care for, like the morale change seems pointless to me. But maybe there's more to it. And overall, I've never seen anything where it's like this is terrible. Why did they make this change? I'm very happy about everything so far. Yeah, you can see what they're doing with every change that I've seen, right? You, 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 there hasn't been one where you're like, I don't really understand why they're doing that. That seems really dumb. Every one of them has been like, oh, I see what they're going for. Oh, I see. And, and like TJ said the whole way through, they're removing the feel-bad parts of 8th edition. They're removing the fact that I wrapped the guardsman and the game's over on turn two. They're removing um, like Imperial Soup or Four Knights as a viable thing. Um, or like it's just spamming the best unit over and over, I should say. So... That's and they're, great. Give, and they're giving pe- people on average more CPs to play with, right? Which makes the game more dynamic and interesting and fun. Yeah, and no one, no one wants their like admech gun line to just get tagged in close combat by a unit of hormigons, and the game is over either. Like they're just giving people tools to play with, which I love because ultimately that's people are going to like the game better, and that's how everyone wins. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about some chouse. I think this will be an interesting discussion. Obviously, having TJ on will be great. So all of you patrons, make sure you jump on over to episode two. We're going to get dig dig deep into what chaos can do in ninth edition, and we have exactly the right person to talk about it in TJ here. If you're not a patron, you can find us at AOW40K.com and sign up for our, patron, our patronage. We have, I don't know, like 50-ish hours of interviews with some of the best players on the planet getting really deep into details of optimal play and like i said we always talk about that as our tactical discussion right so we talk about individual matchups and that kind of thing and that's going to continue in ninth edition we'll get back to our format very soon we just need the rules so we can actually talk about individual lists um all right and hopefully you found us on the frontline gaming network obviously uh if you haven't checked that out you should definitely check out the frontline gaming network all of those guys are gearing up to go hard for ninth edition. We're going to be the best place to be for podcasts on paquette, um, competitive gaming for 40K. Uh, so sign up there. And as always, thank you all for joining us on this podcast, and we'll see you in episode two. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect. Connect. On Facebook, just look for AOW40K. AOW40K. AOW40K.
Until next time.